0: Welcome to the Pear Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and I'm joined today by Kendra Street. Kendra, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, We're around the same age, I believe. When did you graduate? 2002. 2002. I was in 2001. Yes. From Marmaduke, right?
1: Yes. Did you play ball at Marmaduke? Uh, Softball. Okay. I played basketball up until ninth grade, but softball was life.
0: All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 2002 from Marmaduke. Um, This is the first time we've had a chance, I think, be in a room, have a conversation together. But I'm familiar with your story. And I want to talk about the Make-A-Wish Foundation because I know that you do a lot of work with them. But before we talk about um, that foundation, I want to just hear the story behind your own battle with cancer. Um, Can you talk about that?
1: Absolutely. I would love to. So um, it was my senior year. Um, at, at Marmaduke and it was January 16th is when I'd actually received my first diagnosis leading up to that, I guess I should share with um, the fact that what brought it all on? Um, I was with my current boyfriend, now husband, um, and we were on our way home from a date when what we have now know the tumor hit a nerve and so my I jumped extremely hard. Like, it, it was painful, and my whole left arm went numb. Well, I did, really didn't think anything about it. I mean, I'm 17 years old. Sure. Not too yeah, big yeah, of a concern yeah. for yeah, me. You're so invincible at that age. Exactly. So I told my mom about it, and she kind of panicked and, of course, did the mom thing. So I ended up with a CT scan um, a few days later. And the last thing, I mean, it was so odd because I never had the the mass that was on my neck was never visible to anyone. It was, but no one saw it. Hmm. So it was like it almost grew after it did hit that nerve. I don't really have no idea how any of that worked, but um, no one noticed it. And then once um, we went and got it tested to figure out what was going on, it it was just huge. It was like the only thing you could see. But, um, Hmm. I had gone for a CT scan, so I'm not a fan of needles. Wasn't then I'm not now. And so when I came out and I had had to have the dye injected, which, you know, requires an IV, I was not happy with my mom at all. (laughs) So, um, the lady at the desk was super nice and she was just trying to tell me, Hey, you know, your doctor wants to see you at this office right now. I was 17 with an attitude, so I was like, no, that's not what we're doing. This is the plan. So they finally were just like, listen, you need to go see your doctor right now. And it still didn't click with me that something's not right. So we go to my doctor's office. At the time, I was seeing Dr. Bonner, and he pulls us into his actual office. We didn't even go to, like, a a waiting room or anything and so when we're sitting there, and I knew that like okay, something's a little bit different. Hmm. Still had no idea how life changing it was. And this was
0: how long after the CT scan?
1: Uh, that the same day. Same
0: day. Yeah, okay. It
1: wasn't even like an hour later. Jeez. And so um, he told me that, or told my mom and I that you know I have lymphoma. He said I'm not positive it's Hodgkins or non-Hodgkins, but at this point, I'm thinking you have Hodgkins lymphoma. So okay. Give me my medicine. Let's get out of here. I've got things to do. Well, my mom's crying. I have no idea why, because I'm still uneducated on what lymphoma is. Uh-huh. It wasn't in my vocabulary. It wasn't part of my life at that point, so I was very unaware. Um, it wasn't until he said, you've got two options. I've got you set up appointments, both at Arkansas Children's or at St. Jude." Now, I was very aware of St. Jude because at that time in my life, that was a goal. I wanted to be a physical therapist at St. Jude, yeah. so I knew that's what it was. Well, yeah. to me, that was God's way of preparing me for that's where I was going to end up. Yeah. So I definitely chose St. Jude. Um, we were there. I believe it was a week later, if even that long. I don't even know if it was that long later. Um, the first day we were headed to St. Jude, I remember that we were in one lane and. Um, uh boyfriend, now husband, Jeremy, was in the lane beside us headed to college. And it was just so hard because he was battling that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, telling our family was was the hardest. And it was because that battle wasn't just my battle. It was theirs, too. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when it all started. We ended up at St. Jude on a Tuesday. I had surgery on Wednesday, and we started chemo on Thursday. So wow. there was no really... Time to be scared. I don't ever remember being scared or upset about any of it. I remember saying, you know, God's got a reason. I told my parents that the night I found out. God's got a reason. Um, I had no idea what some of those reasons were now, what my um, testimony would turn out to be, but it was incredible. Um, it was a blessing. And it's so hard until you're in that position to say cancer is a blessing. And cancer was a blessing on my life, and it still is today.
0: Wow. What, why would you say it was a blessing.
1: The relationships I've gotten out of it, um, I still keep in contact with my, some of my doctors and my nurses um, at St. Jude. I still go back about every four years for testing, mm-hmm. and they do follow up. Um, so the positive of Hodgkin's lymphoma is we have a high cure rate. Um, but the problem is also is that every aspect of your body is treated for it. So, the chemo and the radiation hit everything. So, the long-term side effects that I live with are extensive. Um, Right now, it's nothing major. You know, I don't produce saliva. I Mm -hmm. um, have been on thyroid medication since I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, There's others. I just can't think of them right now. But they're all very minor for now, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And I have faith that it's going to stay that way. But there's also that chance that it won't. Yeah.
0: were you ever um were you ever scared like at I, any point were you ever like oh man this is a big deal this is serious or ever no, angry at God anything
1: No no it wow. was um I, I just never was you know it was just that calming feeling um I I mean I just had this thought even I still reflect back on those times a lot um St Jude's my favorite place on earth and mm. so I think a lot about um those times and I remember walking through the doors for the first time. You know, it was almost 20 years ago, and I still remember walking through the doors for the first time. And I remember sitting in that little room and them handing us this book of childhood cancer. And I remember kind of being a little nervous then, but I don't know if it was i nervous because of the cancer or was i nervous because of the needles that were going to be coming soon. (laughs) So, um, no, you know, I don't ever, I was never angry about it. I always knew that there was a reason, there was a purpose. And, um, no, I was, it was just always embraced.
0: What do you think it was... uh that made you—you're scared of needles, but not of cancer. <laughs> Isn't just, it weird? <laughs> it is, man. and you know,
1: so many people—it's—it's it's kind of a pet peeve because so many people are saying, "You mean you've had cancer and you're still scared of needles?" And my reply is always, "They cured my cancer. They didn't cure my phobia." <laughs> you know. Um, so I, it is, it is. I've never thought about that, but yeah, it really is. Um, it's it's crazy, crazy how the brain works like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you it know,
0: is. Like so many things that like, yeah, we have these like fears that are attached to, then other things like that are maybe way bigger, actually yeah. way scary in real life. It's like, no, well, it doesn't bother me. Mm,
1: no, it didn't. Um, I had eight chemo treatments. Um, some of those were postponed just because, you know, your white blood cell count was low, and that was never, those days it didn't ever go over well with me. Um I never accepted them well because I was the one in control of my cancer. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: Cancer didn't have you kind of thing.
1: Okay, so one of my favorite stories was I had, well, go back to my treatment. I had eight chemo treatments, and after that, I had to go through 34 radiation treatments. Those were fun. Literally, Mm. they really were fun. Um, So I had, it was stage three. I had a mass in my neck. I had a mass on each side of my heart and a mass in my abdomen. Um, So I had to break up the radiation at that time. We didn't have the uh, machine that just targets just the mass whenever I was being treated. That came later, so there's lots of scatter, Um, what we call scatter, you know, whenever it hits the tumor, but it also affects the surrounding areas Mm -hmm. of it. So I had my neck and my chest for 17 treatments, and after that, and that was every day for, you know, five days a week. And then after that, I had to do the bottom half of my abdomen um, to get that for 17 treatments as well. And I really did. I mean, I had the best radiation doctor. My radiation therapist were amazing. Great stories and memories from all of that as well. Um, so, it that's was. incredible.
0: What makes them so good at their job?
1: They care. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a I'm here to do my job, it's I genuinely care about you and your survival. And um, it is, it's just those relationships that they're so willing to build with you. Because I still have relationships, even to my, my scheduler. I had a scheduler in my clinic, and I still have relationships with her today. So it's like you had a team. Yeah, absolutely. You know my nurse. Um, it broke my heart. She just retired in December, and I got that message. She was majoring a message to me on Facebook to let me know, hey, I want you to know before I make an announcement that hey, I'm retiring in December. And oh. she's like, "You're always one of my girls," and I may be thirty. I think I'm about to be thirty seven, and yeah you know no matter if we grow up they're still part of our lives
0: wow. did you ever get really sick or ever really ill <laughs> in head cancer?
1: um i would stand up and uh, most of the time i had so two short treatments which were you know 30 45 minutes maybe an hour long and then i had followed that with two long treatments and those were sometimes up to eight hours um, it was after the long winds that I would stand up. I would get sick and I'd be done. There was only one that I was in the bathroom the next day up until about lunch just wow. I was sick it was a, it was I was very blessed because it wasn't mm-hmm. that aggressive um, I remember you know, I did lose my hair, which did not bother me a bit because it just got in the way playing softball <laughs> so um, I wasn't really worried about that. You know, I was in the Jeez. middle of taking the ACT test. <laughs> I actually just told this story today. Um, you know, i I get nervous, I twirl my hair. So I was twirling it and realized that my hand was really, really far out, and my hair wasn't that long. And I looked over, and I was twirling hair that was no longer. It was just in my hand. <laughs> so when I finished that test, there was just there was just a pile of hair in the floor. So I just scraped it under my desk and kept on going. So, you know, it was just part of life. And it never – none of that stuff really bothered me. It never – um it wasn't just tragic because I lost my hair because it's just hair and it's going to grow back. Yeah, what do so. you,
0: where do you, like, that I would think is not normative, like, to have that <laughs> level of, like, you just seem to, like, laugh. Like, he's like, radiation was fun. It's, oh, like, my gosh. So, like, where do you source. think that that personality, uh, whether it's grittiness or whatever it is, like, has that always, like, been something that marked your personality, just, like, no. overly optimistic? Like,
1: oh, like, hey, so, i just, like, I used to be very, um, very introverted, very, uh, I just lost my word, but um, shy. Mm-hmm. And that's not the word I was looking for either. But um, you, can keep, you can keep looking. Yeah. Bill, do you know what word she's looking for? <laughs> it's taking me a while. Um, very, like, if you spoke to me, it was it was very painful for me to even have to speak to someone because I was that shy. Hmm. Um, and just not one of those that was going to take charge kind of people that wasn't ever me. Hmm. And so today it's kind of one of those explaining that and getting someone to believe me when I say that is a little bit difficult yeah, today. Yeah. I'm trying to um, figure out
0: where the, where, where <laughs> was, when did the change happen?
1: Um, cancer. <laughs> really? Absolutely. Cancer. Yes. I learned to defend myself because um, lots of things were said. I mean, I have a scar on my neck whenever you're 17 with this scar, you know, lots of things are said to you. And I learned how to deal with those. And how I learned did you learn how to deal with that. I just had to learn that, you know, when someone says something, and it took several times for people to say something, but um, I had to just educate myself on people don't know. And until you tell them, they don't know. And I never said it to put someone in their place. I wanted someone to know that this is what you're saying. This is who you're saying it to. Mm -hmm. Not that you're just talk to Kendra Street that way. It was Mm -hmm. that you just talk to someone who's in a battle of their life. And so um, a lot of times it was just a simple, that's my battle scar or... That's you know I would explain that that's where I had my biopsy done and then so a lot of people were like I'm so sorry. and it's like I don't want your apologies I didn't want any sympathy I just want you to know
0: be aware
1: yeah be aware of what you say because you never know what that battle is.
0: Who was uh, did you find that the kids in your school were they for the most part really supportive or is it like freak them out where they're just like
1: oh man so before I came back to school you know I was gonna be dead in like two weeks <laughs> you know how rumors go <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it was it was pretty bad but um you I know were already planning your funeral yeah pretty much um no my class was you know being from armadook having such a small group of people that you're going with um it was it was amazing it was their battle with me hmm. and so the day I went to have my um my surgery done I had um my biopsy put in or my biopsy and I put my had my port put in and so my superintendent at the time, Mr. Jerry McIntosh, was allowed all of my friends and classmates to leave school to go get the purple balloons, which is my favorite color. Say, so let them go get balloons and filled up my bedroom and had a whole welcome, mm-hmm. you know, committee yeah. at home when I got there. So, yeah. anything I needed at school, my friends were definitely on top of it. My teachers, I had one, Miss um, Stockup, that kept a pillow and a. Uh, a sleeping bag in her room so if she saw me and I looked tired she made me like she even came to class one day and got me out and said she's gonna go in my classroom and she's gonna take a nap so really you know I was definitely well taken care of wow um, Did she
0: keep playing sports during that time
1: oh yeah 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 so the only thing that was required was I had to wear a chest protector because I played second base so I was the girl with the ponytail you know holder <laughs> wrapped around her hair about seven times no hair visor and a, a chest protector playing second base but Man. I had, um, there were some, you know, girls don't know and girls are mean. So there was a couple comments made, but really? I had my teammates there to back me up. So one of my favorite memories with playing sports was, um, I had a chemo treatment that day of a game, which was the worst thing to happen to me. So I told my chemo nurse, I said, listen, I've got a game in Marmaduke at this time, which means... I have to be out here at this time, which means <laughs> I just laid out the timeline for him. And he looked at me and he said, um, you do know you have cancer, right? And I said, you're right. I have cancer. Cancer doesn't have me. And he goes, I'll be right back. So I told him, I said, as soon as this machine beeps, I need you to be in here and change it. And he was like, got it. So my machine beeped. It was time to change out my medication. I leaned forward, and he is sprinting down the hallway with my chemo bags on. I'm coming. I'm coming. I've got it. I've got it. And I'm like, okay, because Yeah, I you're on the clock, buddy. So I did. I got to my game. I went behind the tree and threw up, and then I had to – I didn't get to play that game. You know, my coach was – Not comfortable playing with playing me then and looking back now, I understood. I mean, I understand now, but then it was me, you know, I'm the one that has cancer and I'm the one controlling this. But even then, you didn't feel
0: defeated at that point. No, how much of your, how much uh, of your, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, different people respond differently to chemo, radiation, cancer. You know, sometimes people don't get a very Bad diagnosis and things go really bad. Sometimes I get a really bad diagnosis and it goes really Like, how much of that do you think depends on someone's attitude?
1: So, I that's a conversation I had with my grandma. Um, I had said 50% of your treatment is your attitude. Hmm. So, I kind of got that lecture of no, you know, God is 100% in control of I I, I believe that 100% too, but you also have to have the fighting attitude. Sure. You can't just go in and lay down and let it take control of your life, too. You kind of have to. You have to have the attitude that you can do it and there's a purpose for it. You've got to find the positive in it and the positive is there. Yeah, Sometimes we, it's hard to see but
0: Yeah, we tell people that you know, that one of the cliche scenes, at least in the church world, is let go and let God and we're like, That's not in the Bible. Like like that phrase is not in the scriptures. It's like yeah, you can trust God, but then you still have a work to do. Right. You know, it's it's like with your job or anything. You can't just go, Oh, hey, God provide and I'm gonna sit on my couch. It's like right. okay, now you get up and you go and you do your job. Yeah, you know, and then God'll provide. So it's like yeah. it's kind of what you're saying with the the attitude, like yeah, God's in control.
1: You've got to sure. have the mental you've gotta stay mentally active as well as physically active. And that just that played a huge role in that too.
0: So eventually, um, you're in your battle with cancer. I'm guessing like you went into remission when okay, well, so,
1: what? Um, it was within the same year. Okay. Um, I think I got the call in August of 2002 okay. that I was in remission. Um, my body did respond well to chemo um, and the radiation. So it went, it was quick okay. treatment compared to, you know, there's so many treatments that can last years. Yeah. And so I had, did not have to face that. Mine That's definitely good. went through really quickly. So that was in August, I believe is whenever... I was okay. officially declared awesome. Yeah, intermission.
0: And when were you granted the Make a Wish? Can you share that with us?
1: Yeah, so I met with my um, Wish volunteers, Christy Matthews and Dana Johnson. I met with them in February, I believe it was February. And um, so the 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 goal with Make a Wish is definitely to make it one all about the kid. Yes, but you tailor it to them, and they nailed it. So the night of our Um, senior slideshow. what that entails is um they get pictures throughout the school year they get pictures throughout our childhood and they put this big compilation piece together and that was the night that we did that so we only include our immediate family when i walked in the entire row was people like family i hadn't seen in a while and my mom so we're sitting front row and um Jeremy was beside me. We go through the whole thing, and um, I noticed there was a camera right in my face at the end, and here comes this slide, and it said, you know, it's like the (laughs) the TV ad, but wait, there's more, and so it pops up, and it said, pack your bag, kindergartist, and it goes in the next slide and said, you're headed to Atlanta to meet the Braves. And i just, I sat there, it never registered with me for a little bit. You know, it takes a little bit to figure out what's going on. But once I had my friends beside me bawling and a camera in my face and Christy and Dana walked out and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. I'm headed to Atlanta. Yeah, Yeah, you know, they were super excited because a 17, 18 year old girl coming in to do a wish interview, they were ready to go shopping. (laughs) You know, they were going to do a major room redo, do some Big shopping spree, and I lay on that I want to go meet the Atlanta Braves, <laughs> and they're like, wah, wah. <laughs> and then you're like, Have you seen Chipper Jones? <laughs> exactly. Um, that was my big wish. I want to meet Chipper Jones and Javi Lopez. So I really wanted to be the batting, like down in the dugout for batting practice and stuff. That was going to happen. I was supposed to go out on the field, and it just came a torrential downpour right before I was supposed to go down. <sighs> so it was a like, God thing, too. Because what they ended up doing was taking me down and I stood in the little room, um, right before their, their clubhouse area. And so one door went off to the left into the, um, locker room and went off, went off to the right and it was to the field. So I met 15 players. I got signatures. I got pictures with all of them. Um, I mean some big ones, Greg Maddox was super cool to hang out with. And so they just kind of chilled out and talked to me for a while. Um, Javi Lopez wasn't at the field that day at the time because he wasn't catching. And so they told me that I wouldn't get to meet him. And then they said, Chipper Jones just doesn't come down and do meet Hmm. and greets. I was like, it's okay. You know, I'm here, get to meet all these people. That's super cool. And so I'm talking to, um, Spoonie Barger. He was a rookie at that year. And I'm talking to him. My sister luckily was with me because she, she had to talk for me. I couldn't even get any words (laughs) out at that time. And, I remember him saying, so how are you lucky enough to get down here? And my sister nailed it. She said, she's kind of the luckiest, unlucky person you'll ever meet. (laughs) So that's me. You know, when it comes to genetics or hereditary things that can happen to you, I'm your girl. So I got to do that. And when we were talking to him, the door to the field opened and out walked. Chipper Jones it was Dang. the most amazing moment of my life. Slow my mom elbowed, motion, yes, the music <laughs> starts. yes, spotlights on us, you know. Um, my mom, <laughs> the wind. my mom, elbowed me and she's like, "Do you see who that is?" And I was just like, "Uh huh." Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't talk to me. Just so we got to hang out. I didn't wash my shoulder. I think he touched me on my left shoulder, and um, I didn't wash that shoulder for about two weeks, but. I'm sure he remembers to this day. I know he remembers meeting me, of course.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: (laughs) So what they did is they flew, my sister and my mom and dad and I, they flew us all four out to Atlanta, put us up in a hotel. Um, Everything was already scheduled ahead of time. You know, we didn't have to worry about making arrangements for the hotel. Didn't have to worry about getting tickets to the game. Any of those extra additional activities, you know, they... Literally had an itinerary with extra activities that we could do on those extra days they sent us. And one of those that we chose to do is um, we chose to go to another ball game. So I got to do that um, and experience the game from a different hmm. perspective. Um and so they literally pay for airfare. They pay for your hotel. They send extra spending money. They pay for everything. Jeez. There's nothing we had to worry about paying for, except for the parking ticket that my dad got. So, <laughs> you know, there was lots of fun memories on that too. Um, my sister wasn't the most thrilled about going to that, but I had told them, you know, she was 21 at the time, and I'd said, she doesn't go, I don't go. Hmm. Because that's one of the things with Make-A-Wish is once you're hits a certain age or is out of the house, or considered an adult. And so a lot of times they don't go on those trips if they're doing a, a travel wish. Mm. And so that wasn't working for me. It was, this is how it's going to be.
0: Why did you want her there so bad?
1: Because that was a huge, um, it was a huge time for her too. So I remember the night that I was diagnosed and having to tell family was the worst part for me. Um, but it also gave me good memories because, like, we aren't an affectionate family. We aren't that huggy yeah. kind of people. And that was one of the first times I remember um, huh. one set of my grandparents giving me a hug and a kiss mm-hmm. and I love you. I knew it. My grandparents mm-hmm. loved me. But that was not ever shown. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. said. It was always shown mm-hmm. through actions. Mm-hmm. So I had that from them. Oh, wow. um, it was all, It was so hard to tell those people because I knew their heart was broken for me. And so... Walking out, um, I walked outside that night and my sister was just standing there and she was just broken, you know. And so I knew that that was, it was hard for her. It was so hard for her. And so I wanted her to have that time with Mm. us. It was important for me to her be involved.
0: That's awesome. So she got to go on the trip. She did. And it was just an incredible experience. Got to meet Chipper Jones. Yes. The only thing that could have made it better (laughs) is if it was the St. Louis Cardinals bill.
1: Yeah, they didn't play them.
0: (laughs) So you, um, how did you become a Brace fan, by the way?
1: Uh, Fun story. So my grandmother um, used to own Lewis upholstery that was farther Mm -hmm. down here on Pritch Street. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I grew up in that upholstery shop. So we would walk down cool. to the older gas station. Not gas station. It was like a little convenience shop. Mm-hmm. It's not there. It's across from Champions Gymnastics. Okay, okay. So we would go over there and get snow cones. And one day I just picked up a pack of baseball cards. And one of the first cards I got was an Atlanta Braves card. So seriously, that's how that it started. Was it? That was it. <laughs> what if it had
0: been the Minnesota Twins?
1: Oh, <laughs> probably would be sitting here talking about how I met the Minnesota Twins. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Man, do you still collect cards?
1: I still have all of my cards. Do you? I think so. Um, so the house I grew up in um, was destroyed by the tornado, the Marmaduke tornado, oh. and they were in the attic, but I am quite confident they were salvaged and they are in my attic today. Really? Don't tell my son that.
0: Yeah. Can you go check on that after the podcast and let <laughs> us know if you found them? Yeah. I, well, we'll do a part two and you can come back and we'll talk about our favorite cards. Absolutely. Maybe do, Maybe like we'll trade live.
1: I am quite confident they're up there. Yeah.
0: The Marmaduke tornado, was. you said that was your parents' house, I guess?
1: hmm It was.
0: Um, so let me transition to the, you're, you're currently volunteering. Are you currently, is that right? Yes. You're still working with the Make-A-Wish yes. Foundation. Um, what exactly does that entail?
1: So I originally, whenever I started, you know, I knew what they did for me is what I wanted to give back to other kids and other, not just the kids, but their families too. So it's a huge, just time of normalcy, for parents and for their families because, I mean, let's face it, when you've got a kid going through chemo and mm-hmm. not just cancer, but any life-threatening illness, it's it's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, it changes your entire family dynamic. And so um, I wanted to give that back. So I started immediately after I would tag along. My mom became a volunteer, and so I would tag along with her. And then at that time you had to be 21. And so as soon as I turned 21, I became a volunteer. Mm. Um, it was... You get to go meet these kids and their families. You get to learn everything you possibly can about them. And it's not, for me, it's not a grant your wish, good luck kind of thing. It's you're now part of our family. Mm. And it has its positives and it has its negatives because I've lost seven of my wish kids Mm. and it hurts. It it hurts so bad Um, because you're hurt for their loss, but you hurt for the family loss because that family is now part of yours too. Mm-hmm. Um, when they relapse, you know, you feel that with their families. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. That's it. But you can't give that up in fear. You can't give up make-a-wish and grinning wishes in fear of losing one of your kids because mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But to give them those final moments with their family is so worth it. Um, And then you get to watch them graduate college, and you get to watch them get married. There's that other aspect of it, too, where your kids get to um, be cured from their cancer or um, grow with their life-threatening illness, whatever it is that they're facing, and you get to watch them overcome it and succeed with it. And so there's always that aspect of it. So Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of emotion involved in everything you do.
0: What do you think is a lesson that you have learned from working with the Make-A-Wish Foundation as you've been connected to these different families, different kids?
1: There's lots of lessons. Um, Has it changed are, perspective on life? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I learned that in my own battle too, but also with these kids, your bad day really isn't a bad day. You know, we're all going to have bad days. You're all sure. going to be in a, that mood. I sure. mean, I'm, I've been through cancer, and I still have those days. Sure. Um, and then, you know, we talked about cliche sayings, but... Um, it's better to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. So if I knew that there was one kid that didn't have a wish, I would definitely give mine up to let them have theirs. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really
0: powerful. And by the way, like that's really biblical too. I mean, it's like Jesus literally says, right? It's better to give than receive. Yeah. And so like, what what he's speaking about there is, and I want to talk. <coughs> I want to pause and talk about that for a second because that's something even as someone who's a pastor, like I read that in the scriptures, and I've always kind of wrestled with it. Like, I don't think Jesus knows what he's talking about on this one. Like. Because I can tend to think like no, like what? It's got to be better to get than to give. But truly, whenever you give, there yeah. is a blessing that you get out of that, and there's a satisfaction, fulfillment you find it's that so you satisfying. can't whenever you're receiving, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. So there's a one of our wish kids. Um, her name is Morgan Fuller, and we went to Huntington, Tennessee, to meet her, and my wish partner Cliff Carter at the um and I went to go meet her and we pulled up and there were ribbons everywhere. So we we're like, this is like a Marmaduke, Arkansas. This is a small town rally behind her people kind of town. Mm-hmm. And we met her. She was about the same age that I was whenever I was diagnosed. She was at, softball was her entire life. She had this, um, don't mess with me attitude, not the don't mess with me, but you know the I've got it, you know, um, I have cancer. Cancer doesn't have me, mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. And so, it was look, like looking at myself, and when mm-hmm. we left, Cliff and I had talked about the fact that um, he said, Kendra, you realize that we're going to grant a mini Kendra's wish, right? And I was like, mm-hmm. I take that as a compliment, you know? Mm-hmm. So one thing that without me and Morgan and I having that conversation, Morgan had later had said, please don't give me a wish if it's going to take away from someone else's. And she had also had that same phrase of, if I could give up my wish for someone else, I would. So mm-hmm. we had so connected over that. As well, you know, um, and our wishes, our wish kids don't just all, you know, it's not all cancer. That's not what all of them are. I have one that was in Lavaca, and my role as a wish greener at that time was actually um, a celebrity escort. So she went to go meet Taylor Swift, and mm-hmm. I got to go with her to the concert and backstage and make sure that everything was taken care of mm-hmm. for her. And she was an only child, so she would always refer to me as her big sister. Mm-hmm. And... One of, I say, one of the most powerful memories of with my wish kids is literally, and I don't know that I've actually talked about this one with a lot of people and told the story, but um, I got a phone call from her dad one day, and I don't talk to them very often, but they are my family, and they know I'm here, and I know they're there. So when I got a call from him in the middle of the day, I thought that was kind of strange, and so I answered it and talked to him, and he let me know that Amber wasn't doing well. And they really didn't expect her to make it another week. And it crushed me. Mm-hmm. And I literally talked to that girl on her deathbed just hours before she passed away.
0: What did y'all talk about?
1: Um, she was, she could hear me. She wasn't able to um, communicate back with me yeah. at the time. Um, so her mom, Miss Birdie, was able to tell me, you know, her reactions. And so I just mm-hmm. let her know of how proud I was of what she had done, you know, and, you mm-hmm. um, just her choices that she'd made in life and how she had pushed through and persevered and you know I was wondering her, her my main thing I wanted her to know was I was proud and mm-hmm. you know she uh, her mom told me she said she's got a big smile on her face right now and I want you to know that that means a lot to us. Mm-hmm. And so I got the phone call the next morning that she had passed away. so mm-hmm. that <laughs> that was tough. that was real tough. And so I did. You know, I drove to Lavaca, which is over around Fort Smith. And when I walked up, her dad just stopped and he just cried. And so to know that, and I say this not as a self-centered statement, but as that's what make wish relationships mean to those families. His, her dad just stopped and cried. And so after the visitation, whenever I walked through, um, or after the funeral, I walked through and I hugged their necks and everything. And he hollered at me and he was telling my story to the person behind him. So they may have just lost their daughter to her life-threatening illness, but he was bragging because he was so proud of me overcoming mine. And -hmm. that's a lot. I mean, I can't imagine as a parent, you know, I would hope that I would be obviously be proud of that, but how hard it would be to brag about someone else overcoming theirs when you're literally laying there about to bury your child. So those relationships that you make through Make-A-Wish as a volunteer are incredible.
0: Yeah. To, you know, you, you made a statement while ago that, you know, it's hard whenever you lose, like, what did you say, seven, eight, seven, seven kids. It's hard, but you said it's, like, you don't want to give that up. Like, you don't want to give all that up just because the fear of losing somebody. Right. And I think, like, there's just, uh, I don't know. I think, at least for me and, and probably even for others, sometimes it's, it's, easy to keep people at an arm's length because you're like, you know what? Like I'd rather just not risk getting hurt or not risk getting disappointed.
1: I've been through this once. I don't want to do it again.
0: Totally. Yeah. But that's, if you live that way, you're going to live a shallow life. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you just said, it's just a great example of, of you know, being someone that's like, yeah, I know that when I get close to these families. Like there's a, I don't know if they're going to be here, right? but like, I'm still going to do the best I can to love them and to serve them. And it sounds like from when I, hear you and just even, you know, and watching you, like you find a lot of joy in that. Like, I do. You feel like you're making your life count. Yeah,
1: And I've always said, you know, if I could do that, if I could always just grant wishes and people never know what, I'd be okay with that too. But that's not part of my purpose. You know, it comes back to that first night after I was diagnosed that said, God has a reason and mm-hmm. this is my reason. Yeah. And I know that. And to be able to look back and see what all my testimony now involves, it's crazy so um, it, it's very powerful to be able to sit there and say, 20 years ago, this all started with God and seeing this as what it was going to follow through with it.
0: It's a, we've, we've had a theme uh, that seems like it's run through a lot of our podcast episodes. And it's just worth mentioning again that oftentimes it takes suffering and it takes hardship to get us to where we need to be, to be able to fulfill really kind of our God-given purpose. yeah. Um, and we don't like to think of suffering that way. Like nobody would ask for cancer, right? right. But Like you're looking back at it now and you're like, yeah, I, I would have asked for it, but I wouldn't go back and change it. Like right. I wouldn't go back. And I think it's so important to keep that. Like it's just good for me to hear that because we're all going to encounter suffering. Like we're going to suffer again. We're going to experience hardship, whether it's today or next week. And sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. And it's like when you're in the middle of it, it's very easy to begin to say, why me, or this isn't fair, or, but oftentimes when you look back on it, like you come out of it better than you went into it.
1: Yeah, you know, um, it's so, it's really cool to see how things come full circle. And, you know, Christy Matthews is one of my wish granters, and I'm extremely close to her and Dana both today. And, you know, Christy's now in the fight of her life and mm. she's now about battling multiple myeloma. And it's, it's not, mm-hmm cool to see it but it is it's really cool to see that she has now she now understands I've always told her um cancer is a blessing and I know that you don't understand that until you've had it and you've been there you've walked that path and she now said you know one of the comments that she's made in one of her posts was um you've got a choice you know you can lay there in fear or you can accept it and embrace it. And she, her thing now is, thank you, God, for giving me cancer. And that's exactly, hmm. exactly what I've said for so long. Hmm. And so for her to embrace that as well makes my heart happy. And she's helped so many people through Make-A-Wish, and now she's on the receiving end of it. So it's, uh, it is. It's just one of those mentality things that you've got to embrace. And it may not be easy. Yeah. but you've got to. Well, so. and
0: there's something about too. Whenever you get diagnosed with cancer, or you're all of a sudden you feel finite, and you feel like okay, like life is fragile, which can make you yeah, like sit in bed and and you know be paralyzed in fear, or it can make you be like you know what I'm gonna live whatever time I have with great intentionality, yeah. and that's can be a great blessing in itself, rather than just kind of like wasting your life thinking oh I've got the, my whole life ahead of me and living with zero intentionality. Like no, 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 every day's a gift. Yep, and I'm gonna treat it as that and receive it it as that. I'd be curious before we end. Um, what maybe encouragement do you have for someone who maybe is listening to this? They're going through cancer themselves um, or some sort of hardship. Um, As someone who's battled cancer, you've gone through suffering, you've experienced hardship. What encouragement would you give to them?
1: So you have a battle that you're facing and you have a choice. And it's not going to be an easy, you know, possibly very difficult to find the positive. But once you look at your situation and think what positive can come out of it, and if you don't know, what can you make that's positive mm-hmm. out of it? Because you have that ability to make it a positive situation. Yeah. So, um, and it can be a situation where when you come out in the end, you have the ability to make a change for someone else. So, um, and it's also one of those where you have to learn to accept, you know, you've got to learn to accept what's happening. you have also got to learn to accept help and it's okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard because I think our mentality today is I've got this. I can do it. Mm-hmm. I don't need your help. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, if you've got to have, you know, it doesn't matter what type of help you need through it, whether it's just the physical help of getting something done or um, the emotional help to get through it or the mental help to get through it. You know, if you need it, that's that's part of getting through it. But you've got to take care of yourself. And just find the positive. You know, what can you do in the end when this battle is over and you've won it? What do you want to do with your story?
0: That's good, man. That's so good. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. I think it's a great place to end. But uh, man, it's a pleasure being able to, I guess, formally meet you. And yeah, I can talk about to, it all day. Yeah, we'll <laughs> really have to have you on again in the, the future to talk about it and share more stories. And so, yeah, um, you've been a, a you've been inspirational me today you've encouraged my heart and I know that you're gonna do the same for others who listen so thanks again for coming on
1: that's my life go
0: all right so that was Kendra Street um what an inspirational story I'm sitting there and I'm listening to her talk about like going and taking chemo treatments and then heading straight to her softball game and uh, I'm like man I have no excuses for getting out and running or doing any other of these things that I know I need to be doing. How, but t- how tough would it be for the coach to have to say, you can't play this game I, when there's so much I, desire there and like s- strong heart. Like, I know, why, why, yeah. And then there, I like, get like, why she, her coach wouldn't, that'd be a, that'd be a bold move though. Yeah, I and mean, then she has teachers that are like, Hey, here's your sleeping bag. Like you've got to come take a nap. I never once had it. My teachers were like, get your head off the desk. <laughs> Kendra, thanks so much for, for coming on and sharing your story. And, for giving back, um, the way that you've been given back. And so if you're still listening to this, um, as always, we want to encourage you to um, give us a like on iTunes that helps people find us and learn more about the great people living in the city. Also check us out on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, go to our website, paracolpodcast.com. And if you're not already a subscriber to our email list, we encourage you to do that. So thanks again for listening until next time.